Let's just come before our God in prayer. Yes, Lord, we've just sung this amazing truth that it doesn't matter who we are, whether we are princes or paupers, one day we will all bow down before you. And Lord, we stand back in amazement when we come to a text like we will be looking at this morning, which says that God had to first become man. And yet, this is what you did. You became man for our sakes. So that we could have a way back to God. And so, Lord, we pray, as we open your word now, speak directly to our hearts, Lord. And show us how we can live lives that are worthy of this great God who did so much out of his great love for us. Make us obedient, we pray. Amen. Turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, and we're carrying on in our series through Luke. Last time we touched on God coming through the angel Gabriel to the priest Zechariah and announcing to him that he would give him a son called John, who would be the forerunner of the Messiah. And today we come to a second message that went out in God's wisdom to the girl who would actually bear, give birth to the Messiah himself. And so Luke chapter 1 verse 26 to 38. Now in the sixth month, and that's Elizabeth's, Elizabeth's sixth month, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favoured one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, For I'm, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold the bondslave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. 
First critical question that we are faced with this morning, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, is this one. Do you believe in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ? Do you believe in the literal virgin birth of Jesus Christ? Do you believe that something which seems humanly impossible actually happened as a fact of history? Or do you find yourself, when you're confronted with this part of Scripture, and non-Christian friends might ask you, do you really believe this? You start making excuses. This is a critical question. It's either a yes or a no answer. Back in 1823, Thomas Jefferson said this, and I'll put the quote up for you. The day will come when the mystical generation, or that conception, of Jesus by the supreme being as his father in the womb of a virgin will be classed with the fable of the generation of Minerva in the brain of Jupiter. That was 1823. So has it come true? Well, let's go to 2009. This is what someone said. Although the virgin birth cannot be understood as a historical, biological fact or event, it can be regarded as a meaningful symbol, at least for that time. You see, it's come true already. didn't take long. What about 2011? There's this website called religioustolerance.org. This is what they say. Most modern liberal theologians have generally rejected the virgin birth. They regard it as a religious myth that was added to Christian belief in the late first century to make Christianity more competitive with contemporary pagan religions in the Mediterranean region, most of whom featured their founder having been born of a virgin. And so Christianity had to do the same to keep up. The three aspects of Christianity which are attacked are creation, the virgin birth, and the resurrection of Jesus. Those three people say it can't happen, and so they must be myth. But the question we've got to ask this morning is, can a true Christian deny the virgin birth? And the answer to that question must be a very decisive no. You see, those who deny the virgin birth, what do you do? You reject the authority of Scripture firstly, you deny the supernatural birth of a Saviour, our Saviour. You undermine the very foundations of the Gospel. And there is no way of explaining the deity of Christ or Christ becoming God and man. So if you say that he wasn't born of a virgin, that is what you're doing. And that is what these theologians are doing. John MacArthur said it this way. He said, no issue is more important than the virgin birth to our understanding of who Jesus is. If we deny Jesus is God, we have denied the very essence of Christianity. If Jesus is not God, we are just the same as any other religion. And so you see, when we come to this account, it's not just a nice story we hear every Christmas. It's an essential piece of evidence that Luke includes in his investigative report to Theophilus 
of who Jesus really was. God become man. This is an essential piece of the evidence. And the question I want to put before you right at the start here this morning is, do you believe Scripture or don't you believe Scripture? And I'm speaking to the majority here as believers. Do you believe Scripture when it says what it says? Let's go and see how Mary took to this news that was coming to her. Verses 26 to 20 to 33. You see, five months after the appearing of Gabriel to this ordinary couple that we looked at last week, Zacharias and Elizabeth, we now find Elizabeth in the sixth month of her pregnancy. And the angel Gabriel is again sent out from the very presence of God, from God's throne, to a young girl in Israel called Mary. Now, if you've seen artworks of Mary, she's always typified as this middle-aged woman who's got good skin and she's holding this little cherub baby and they're both wearing halos. You see, people wanted to make more out of Mary than what she is. And I'll come to that because us Protestants are as guilty. I'll come to that. But Mary was just an ordinary teenage girl of approximately 12 to 14 years old. Now, in our terms today, we think, wow, how can this happen? Well, in those days, they kind of grew up a bit quicker. And don't see me afterwards, you young ladies. But she was a teenage girl. And she was eligible for marriage already. And here comes this angel to speak to her. What else do we know about her? We know that she was a Jewish girl and she was of the tribe of Judah and she comes across as uneducated. Why do we say that? Because she's from the village of Nazareth and I'll, I'll speak about the village of Nazareth soon. It was just a very small village. It wouldn't have been more than 200 if it was that many people in that village. It's not like today where you've got 300,000 living there. It was about 100 to 200 people. Everyone knew everyone. Everyone knew each other's business. It was a small village. She was a descendant of David, and so she, she was from a royal lineage. And she was a virgin. And I'm going to stop here for a little while. You see, it's important that we understand this. Luke was a trained physician. And in God's grace and in God's sovereign knowledge, He appoints Luke to be the one to record this. And Luke uses a very specific Greek word, paraquenon, which was deliberately an unambiguous term used for a girl who had not had any sexual intercourse at all. She did not know a man. She was not just, as some of your translations might have it, a young maiden or a young girl. Because that's how the theologians today get around it. They say she was just a young girl and she she kind of didn't keep to how she should have kept things and she had a little baby on the side, but she kept quiet about it. No, she was a virgin. A specific term, there is no other word used in Greek but that. And that's the meaning to it. You see, there's a group of theologians called the Jesus Seminar. And they suggest, and this is, 
theologians, supposedly Christians, who are suggesting that she's just a young maiden and she kept quiet about her activities. And therefore they call Jesus, and this is the next result of what they're saying, they call Jesus a bastard Messiah. This is theologians. And they will stand to account for those words one day. What else do we know about Mary? She was engaged to a carpenter called Joseph. Now we've got certain engaged couples in our congregation here today. But the Jewish engagement was a little different to how we understand engagement today. It was a two-stage process. There would be that exciting day when the man asked the young lady to marry him. And that was called the betrothal. And from that time they were legally married. It was his word to her. But they didn't live together yet. And there was no physical consummation. That was very, very strictly forbidden. And you actually needed a divorce to end that engagement by Jewish law. And we see that when Joseph heard that his wife was pregnant, he actually considered divorcing her, Matthew 1 verse 19. And after a one year period of engagement, then this couple would get together for the formal marriage feast. And while the relatives were feasting, this couple would go away and they would consummate this marriage physically. And then they would live together as man and wife from that stage in his father's home. Interesting. Expanded home. They used to build a, a place for them. And so, it's very, very, very clearly stated that she was engaged. That no physical union had taken place. And that she was, married, she was engaged to this man called Joseph. He was of the family line of Joseph of old who was also in, in the line of David. And so both from mum's side and from Joseph's side Jesus would legally, by law, be a descendant of David. We know that they were both poor. Luke chapter 2 verse 24 says that they brought turtle doves when they went to the temple to sacrifice. And turtle doves were there specifically so that those who couldn't afford bigger animals could bring something to the sacrifice. And then we know that they came from this town of Nazareth. Now, I've already spoken a little bit about it. It was a very, very small town, but there was a stigma attached to Nazareth. It was a bit of an undesirable town in Judea. John chapter 146, you can go and look at yourself. And the inhabitants were looked down on and disdained because they were perceived to have a lack of culture. They were perceived to be a bit uneducated. But most of all, because they were in very close contact to Gentiles, who used to come through Nazareth and trade there, and who used to live in the surrounding area. And so because of their close contact with the unclean, they were looked down on. And so this is where the messenger comes, Gabriel, to this small little town. He comes to this ordinary girl, in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere and we see God at work through ordinary people doing extraordinary things. You know, if it was me that was arranging this, the coming of the Messiah, I would have done it very differently. I would have gone to the center where I knew they make big announcements. I would have gone to some royalty and I would have said to them, listen, you need to get this out. This is important. Get your advertising agents. Get them going. 
And there must have been media of some kind. Get those guys on those rock blocks chipping away there. Get these things out on paper, parchment. We need to advertise the Messiah is coming. But in God's wisdom, it's always so opposite to human wisdom, isn't it? He sees this old couple. He makes the first announcement. And then this momentous announcement comes to a teenage girl in this little village in the middle of nowhere. But that's God's wisdom. Well, let's step with Mary as she receives this message. Now, I don't know what she was doing on the day. She could have been doing a normal teenage girl's routine of whatever, washing, doing all kinds of things. And then suddenly, we're not told how this angel appears to her, but he was there with her. And whether he was in the form of a man or whether he was in the form of an angel, we're not told. We do see that she listens more to what he says than to his appearance. So it could have been that he came in the form of a man. But, but Gabriel appears to her. And he says to her in verse 28, Greetings, favoured one, the Lord is with you. You see, what does he say to her? He says, you are a recipient of God's grace. Mary, you are God's favoured one. The Lord is with you. God is showing you grace. You see, there are some in, in religious, in some of our religious organizations who would say that Mary is more than what she is. She is not a giver of grace. God describes her here as a recipient of grace. She's not a giver of grace at all. He says, the Lord is with you. You are experiencing God's grace. But before we point too many fingers, we need to look at ourselves as Protestants. You see, sometimes we gloss over Mary too quickly. The pendulum is swung a bit the other way. And instead of seeing her for who the Bible describes her to be, the mother of our Lord, and also an example of a woman of great faith, we kind of just gloss over her and just carry on reading. We need to take note of Mary. Gabriel speaks to her as a saint. He speaks to her not as one to be revered or prayed to. He speaks to her as one who is receiving God's grace. And thereby he prepares her for the news that's now to come. And so she sees this figure, whether it's a man or an angel, looking like an angel. He comes and he says, Mary, God's favour is on you. And then he says, God has shown you grace and the Lord is with you. Now Mary, he says, what you're about to hear now will test the limits of your faith. But Mary, know that the Lord is with you. Whatever you hear now, God is with you. Specifically for this task he will do in and through you. And already Mary's wondering what he's saying. Very perceptive lady. It says there specifically she wondered at his greeting. What is he about to tell me? Why would an angel come and greet me? This is a teenage girl, remember? In what way am I highly favoured by God? Why does he greet me in this way? I'm just a young woman with no social standing in this community. How is God with me? What's happening? And then the angel says to her, verse 30, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And then he carries on, and at this news her eyes must have widened. I can just see it. 
He says, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you will name him Jesus. And that means Yahweh is salvation. So here is this virgin girl. She's engaged. She hasn't had any dealings physically with Joseph. And here is this angel telling her, you will conceive. Now, other children were called Jesus. It was a well-known name, Yeshua. Yahweh is salvation. And so she must have thought, okay, I suppose I can take this news. I'm going to get pregnant. And when I give birth to the son, I will call him Jesus. But the angel didn't stop there, did he? What does he say? Verse 32. And here her jaw must have hung open a little bit. This becomes much more difficult for her to understand. What does he tell her? Verse 32. He says, He will be great and he will be called, here it is, the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Now I can imagine Mary's about sitting down. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Now when she heard those words, he will be son of the Most High. He will be son of God. He will be Christos, the one who was prophesied about for all these years. And any good Jew, whether you boy or girl, you would know. This is the Messiah this angel is now speaking about. She couldn't have missed the significance of those words. Gabriel was announcing in effect to her that Jesus would be equal to God Most High. He would be the same. He would be the Messiah who is God. And He would be born of her. So these prophecies are coming true through me? Says this young teenage girl. Always keep in mind who she is. And then he says, verse 32, the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. You see, Jesus would be David's physical descendant through Mary. She knew where she stood in the lineage. But the Messiah was coming from her and he would be given David's throne by God himself. In other words, he would have the messianic kingdom. She knew exactly what the angel was saying. And then to confirm that, verse 33, and he will be over the house of Jacob forever. Referring back to Daniel chapter 4, verse 4, Daniel chapter 7, verse 14. You see, that promise made so long ago to the nation of Israel were now coming true in the words of what Gabriel was bringing to her. Mary would have understood very clearly that her son was to be the promised Messiah, the promised one who would take his seat as the God-man on the throne of the universe and he would reign forever, not just over the nation, her nation of Israel, but over all people forever. There can only be one summary for what she was hearing here. Overwhelming. God born in me? And so when she responds to the angel in verse 34, look carefully at how the angel assesses her answer. Remember last week Zechariah? He answered in unbelief. How do we know that? The angel said he did so. And here, look at what Mary says. Mary said to the angel, 
How can this be? How can God be born in me? And also, I'm a virgin. You see, this response is said in a sense of wonder and astonishment, more, more so than unbelief. This is a 12-year-old girl who's just heard this news. Now, I've never given birth, and I never will, and so I don't know what it's like when you hear the news that you are going to give birth. But when you hear that you're going to give birth to God, that must have been overwhelming to her. You see, she didn't know what would happen. She knew about babies, right? She knew what would happen with babies, but she didn't know how it would happen that God would be born in her. And that is why she she responds in this way. How would God do this, is what she's saying. And then I just want to state here very clearly this morning, because this is where the skeptics will also take us on. And these are Christian skeptics, by the way. Matthew chapter 1 verse 25 states that Mary and Joseph had no sexual relations until after Jesus was born. Scripture states that because the skeptics will tell us, you see, this angel was saying what would happen and they knew and so they kind of made it happen. But no, there's too much evidence against that and so we need to refute that. Well, fortunately for her, the angel Gabriel doesn't just leave her in the state. How is this going to happen? He actually explains it to her. And I don't know if the explanation helped her, because this was also profound truth he was stating here. Verse 35, he says to her in explanation, Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. Now, I don't know if she was any wise at this stage. You see, what was Gabriel saying to her? He was saying, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. That phrase is the same phrase used in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, where the Spirit was hovering over the earth. And it was just before that amazing creation happened when God spoke things into being. The Holy Spirit was hovering over the dark. And the dark, and the waters. Well, here the Holy Spirit will come upon you and He will hover over you because God is about to create in you as well. He will overshadow you. And it's in an active, not a passive sense. This will be no natural means of procreation. This will be a spiritual means of creation. The Holy Spirit will the, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And this word overshadow is the same word used for God being in the Holy of Holies behind the thick curtain. His presence was there, a living presence with people. He was God with man there. And that same term is used for her here. This, not just the Spirit will be with you, but the Most High will overshadow you. He will live with you. When all this happens. You see, this operation that will happen in you, Mary, is not going to be seen by any human eyes. It will be a miracle in you. And therefore, because God is the one bringing this baby about in you, Jesus will be called the Holy, He will be called the Son of God. 
He won't be your son, Mary. He will be the son of God. He won't belong to Joseph, Mary. He will be the son of God. God is the one who begot him, is the old English translation. He is the one who brought him about. You see, Jesus was begotten of God and the Holy Spirit. And that means he would not have, and this is why it was so important, he would not have the seed of sin in him. You see, if Jesus was created and and Joseph was the father, the curse of sin would come through Joseph. But no, Jesus would be born of God. And therefore he was free of the seed of sin. He would be God in human form. As Colossians 2.9 says it, In him the whole fullness of deity, of godness, dwells bodily. Now, I can't understand that. I don't know if you can. How does God put himself in human form? We don't know how that works. We've got to just believe it, you see. And Mary just had to believe it as well. You see, what was expected of Mary was not to understand everything told to her that morning or that afternoon when the, when the angel came to her. But she had to believe God's message and willingly submit to him. That was what ex- was expected of her. And that's what ex- what's expected of us too. We can't always understand everything God tells us in the Word. But because God's Word says it, we believe it and we practice it. Some things we'll only know one day. And then, just to put some human perspective on it, he says, and by the way, verse 36, you know that cousin of yours, that relative, Elizabeth, the older one? Well, she's five months pregnant, six months now. And I think at that, Elizabeth must, uh, Mary must also have taken a bit of notice. What? Elizabeth? Pregnant? How did that happen? He says, it's of God. Verse 37, For nothing will be impossible with God. You see, Mary, you've just heard this amazing news, and yes, I know it's hard for you to believe, but with God, nothing is impossible. He's even done this miracle in Elizabeth. He will do it in you too, Mary. You need to believe. And this is where the woman of faith comes out. This must have been overwhelming for her. Verse 38, what is her response? And Mary said, Behold the bond slave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. See, what was Mary's response to this news? She says, I believe this. Not just I believe this. She uses a very specific word. I am God's doule. I am God's bond slave. I'm tied to the house of the God forever. I am his servant for life, she says. Very specific term she's using. May it happen to me, as God has said. What a statement of faith for this young girl who heard this overwhelming news. You see, there would be repercussions for her. Imagine if you were that young girl and you've heard this news and now you try and communicate that to your very conservative, uneducated little village. She was in a very difficult and embarrassing situation. She was betrothed to Joseph. And now she's got this news, I'm going to be pregnant and it's not going to be Joseph. And some other stage, I'm not going to be able to hide this. And then I'm going to have to please explain. 
And when I tell people, I am going to bear the Messiah and it's all of God, what are they going to say? I can think of something. Yeah, right. We know. Joseph's not going to be the father. How am I going to explain this? You see, they had rules about things like this. She would be accused in public and she faced the accusation of adultery and the penalty for that was either a public flogging or a public stoning. Do you see what this teenage girl stood in front of? But what is her response? Let it be to me according to your word. Wow. She's willing and she's willingly giving herself to God, submitting to His will against all odds. What an example of faith. She's a real hero of faith, this one. And so we mustn't gloss over Mary. But that's Mary and we are now in 2012. And so we've got to ask ourselves, how do we respond? Here is our faith lesson from Mary. What can we learn from her? You see, Mary showed great faith. She couldn't understand everything fully, but she believed God at His word and she submitted herself to Him. Isn't that what faith is? It's committing one's way to the Lord and trusting Him and knowing that He has the power to do what He has promised He will do and He will give us whatever is best for us, says Psalm 37 verse 5. And the question you and I have to face this morning is, are you and I willing to entrust our whole life to the Lord, the Almighty God, the same one who brought this news to Mary, the one who hasn't changed? Are you willing to entrust your whole life to God? It doesn't matter how big that news is that comes your way. He is the God of the impossibilities. And the question you've got to ask yourself is, is your view of God big enough? Do you think that God can do what He says He will do, either through His Word or through promises He's made to you in overwhelming circumstances? Is God big enough in your view? God hasn't changed. It's your view that needs expansion. Mary showed great faith. What about you? What about me? Second thing we can learn from Mary is that she brought no outstanding credentials. When the angel Gabriel appeared to her and said, you will bear the Son of God, she didn't say, well, where have you been? I've been waiting. I've been training for this moment. Why do you take so long? No. She didn't know what was going to hit her. She had no outstanding credentials. When God looked around, He didn't see and say, well, she's got about the right personality and she's got the strength of character and yes, I'll use her. No. God came because He knew He wanted to use Mary. And then He equipped her for the task. You see, she didn't do any training to, do, to be mother of the Messiah and mother of this King. Like so many queens throughout history have been trained to bring up and to look after and to train up their sons who would be king or their daughters who would be queen. No, she came with nothing on her resume other than her availability and her willingness to serve God. Are you available to serve God and are you willing to serve Him? 
God will take you through the process which He has for you to equip you for whatever He is going to do through you. But you need to be available and willing. I need to be available and willing as a pastor of this church for the task that God has given me. But that's where the rub comes, isn't it? It's the availability and the willingness. God simply promises to be with Mary in this journey He will take her on. Are you willing to go on this journey with God, whatever He asks you to do? Are you willing? God will give you direction. He will enable you for the task. And I think the third thing we can learn from this passage is this. This Jesus who would be born of Mary, He promises her that this Jesus, this Messiah, would take His seat as the God-man on the throne of the universe one day and that He would reign forever. Well, that God who promised those amazing things has brought all that about. Jesus did come. He was born of that virgin. He did grow up in Israel. He did have a task to fulfill. He fulfilled that task. Men killed him. But on the third day he rose again and that was God's power at work. Almighty God. And he ascended on high and he is sitting on that throne. He is reigning forever and he is still there right now in 2012. And he will still be with you through whatever might come your way. Are you willing to accept that he will be with you in the task? He is an unchanging God. Whatever your circumstances may be, he is the God of impossibilities. In him rests our hope. In Him rests an unending hope. And therefore, we can press on. It doesn't matter what those waves are around us. We look to Him who is on the throne and we press on. He will be there for us. He is our hope. You see, religion will tell you something else. Religion will tell you, do your best, try harder, achieve more, Why? So that God will accept you and love you. If you really try hard, then God will accept you and love you. No, the Christian message is completely the opposite. You see, the story of Mary shows us that God shows favor and grace to the undeserving. If you are an undeserving one, God can show you favor and grace. He doesn't come to those who don't need a doctor. If you think you can do it on your own, Christ hasn't come for you until the day you realize you can't do anything without Him and then He will be your Savior too. You see, only in your wisdom, sorry, (coughs) God wants to use you and He wants to use me. Not because we're amazing, but because He is so amazing. That's why God came. And He can turn what looks impossible into our lives, into a situation and into reality where we can only stand back from what is happening and we can only say, it's only in your wisdom and by your strength that all this has been made possible. And I want to challenge you this morning. I don't know what you're going through. Whether it's sickness or financial troubles, it doesn't matter. Whatever you're going through, verse 37 hasn't changed in Scripture. He is still the God of the impossible. He can still give you hope, whatever your situation. And what we, you and I need to do, we need to take God at His word. If His word says it, 
We believe it. We trust His promises. We trust His principles for our lives. Even if society tells us that won't work, trust God. Trust the principles in His Word. Persevere in your faith. Don't wander off into the wilderness. Stay walking your life through this life with the Lord Jesus Christ and then see a faithful God at work. We can learn from young Mary. We can. But are we willing and able to? Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, thank You for this example of this young girl who, even though the news that was coming at her was overwhelming, and it must have been unbelievable, yet she took You at Your word and she believed what was told her and she submitted herself to You and she said to You and to Gabriel, do with me whatever God's Word says. Lord, thank You for this example of faith. And I just pray for everyone here this morning, Lord. We're all going through different walks in life. We've all got different circumstances that are coming against us. And Lord, I pray that You would give each one of us this faith of Mary. A faith that would believe You at Your Word and trust Your promises and carry on walking with You step by step because we know that You are the one in whom we have our faith. You are our unchanging and all-powerful God. Keep us faithful, we pray. Amen.